You are now listening to the October 16th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have forgiveness, the sermon, and the God of Abraham. First, let's begin with forgiveness. Hello, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries listeners. This is Joseph McDonald with the next part of the program that focuses on a special privilege of Christians. This is forgiveness. To learn about forgiveness, we have been looking at the story of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. The sad part was that his brothers hated him for that. Perhaps the resentment and hatred his brothers harbored against Joseph was understandable to a certain extent. It wasn't their fault their father Jacob did not love their mothers, and they might have been puzzled as to why their father would have extended that lack of love for their mothers to them and not love them. Why would Joseph be singled out and receive all the attention and love from their father? Jacob's love for Joseph was very special, and he was treated as if he was the firstborn, even though he was the youngest at the time. For instance, Joseph was the only one that Jacob gave a fancy, multicolored tunic. All these things made Joseph's brothers hate him. To make matters worse, Joseph told them about the dream he had in which all his brothers were bowing down to him. When they heard that, they hated him even more and it made them want to kill him. Nonetheless, it was not right for them to sell him as a slave and to lie to their father that he was killed by a wild beast. In the Old Testament, God used dreams to communicate with people. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 3, God appeared to Abimelech in his dream and warned him about taking away Abraham's wife, Sarah. In Genesis chapter 31, verses 10 and 11, God explained to Jacob in his dream how he could own vast amounts of livestock, and in the same chapter in verse 24, God appeared to Laban, Jacob's uncle, in his dream as he was pursuing Jacob to warn him not to speak to Jacob either good or bad. These instances tell us that in the house of Jacob, dreams were God's prophecy and his manifestation. But Joseph's brothers did not see it this way regarding Joseph's dream. Why not? It was because God prevented them from seeing it that way, given the hatred and jealousy in their hearts. It is important to understand that their attempt to kill Joseph to stop his dream from coming a reality was tantamount to a direct opposition to God's plan. They simply did not know what they were doing at the time. That is why it is very dangerous to harbor hatred and jealousy in our hearts, because that will blind us from seeing God's plan, and further, they can cause us to oppose his plans. Joseph was sold to Egypt as a slave because of his brother's jealousy. In Egypt, he was brought down as a criminal by having been framed and locked away in prison, even though he had done nothing wrong. He used to wear a multicolored tunic and enjoyed the status of a firstborn in the house of his father Jacob, but now he was wearing the criminal's clothes. 
Eventually, God came to Joseph's rescue when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream at God's appointed time. Joseph became the ruler over Egypt. Just as God foretold Pharaoh through Joseph's interpretation, there were seven years of prosperity and then seven years of severe famine. The famine became so severe that even the house of Jacob in Canaan ran out of food. So Joseph's ten brothers set off for Egypt to buy food. In Genesis chapter 42, Jacob's ten sons bowed down to the ruler of Egypt and pleaded to buy food. Joseph's dream of his brother's sheaves bowing down to him became a reality, just as God had prophesied. Even though his brothers tried to prevent it from happening, God still fulfilled the prophecy. Joseph's brothers were in front of their younger brother Joseph after 20 years, but they did not recognize him. Joseph wanted to know if his brothers had changed and if his younger brother Benjamin was still living. So he framed them, saying that they were spies, and he put them in a difficult situation. Facing this difficult dilemma imposed on them, Joseph's brothers had the following conversation amongst themselves. In Genesis chapter 42, verses 21 and 22, they had this conversation in their own language, thinking this ruler in Egypt would not understand. Verse 21 says, Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them and said, Did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. From their conversation, Joseph came to learn that his brothers regretted what they had done to him 20 years ago. They regretted that they were put into such a difficult predicament because of what they had done to their younger brother. How do you think Joseph reacted to that? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 42, verse 23 and 24, They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Let's think about Joseph's reaction when he finally met up with his brothers. Joseph's brothers treated him unjustly 20 years ago. He shared his dream that came from God, but his brothers tried to kill him so the dream would not come true. They wanted to get back at him the first chance they got. But they did not dare kill him, so they sold him off as a slave to a distant land. Now, some twenty years later, they were bowing down before him, just as God had showed him in the dream. Joseph had the authority, power, and might to judge their wrongdoing. If you were Joseph and your brothers appeared before you after twenty years, what would you have done? You were sold as a slave to some traveling merchants, and you faced a lot of adversity in a foreign land. You were wrongly accused, and you were imprisoned. You were abused and mistreated. You spent many years in fear, not knowing what would happen to you. What would you have done? Wouldn't you want to yell at them, saying, You see, I am Joseph, whom you sold off as a slave. You might want to laugh at them and say, Look, (laughs) 
Hasn't everything happened just as I dreamed? But Joseph did not act like that. He did not act on a personal grudge. He did not reveal himself to belittle them. Rather than rendering a punishment which they deserved, Joseph explained to them how everything happened was part of God's grand plan. The terrible things that his brothers inflicted on him happened so that his family could come to Egypt and become a great nation to return back to the promised land after 400 years. He did not act on personal feelings centered on self-pity. Instead, being mindful of his brother's state of mind, he proceeded to take care of the things one step at a time in obedience to the Lord's will. In Genesis chapter 45, Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers. When his brothers found out that the ruler of Egypt was none other than their younger brother Joseph they sold off many years ago, their heart sank. They became terrified and could not speak. To his brothers, now trembling in fear, Joseph said the following in Genesis chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Yes, Joseph clearly knew his brother's wrongdoing. However, he did not blame them for it. That was because he experienced God's wonders that were made manifest through the wrongdoing of his brothers. He was able to see that God used his brother's wrongdoing to fulfill his plans. What about you? Could you see how God moves in the midst of people who may be making your life difficult? If you could see that, you should be able to overcome negative personal sentiments toward them. You might need to forgive them so God's plan would move forward and you would not be standing in God's way. Forgiveness. Yes, it is a complex topic, but one we must think more deeply about. We will continue next time.
can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 your good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am it's who I am your good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Meitler of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is The Origin of Fake News. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Well, I want to start this morning by pointing out the obvious, and the obvious is simply this. There's nothing new about fake news. There's nothing new about fake news. The fact of the matter is, fake news has been around forever And I've got really bad news for you. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Fake news, whether that be political or any other type of fake news, has the power to be very, very dangerous. And hence, the desire for me to do this sermon series. Now, if you hold a biblical worldview, and I think most of you in here do, then you can actually account for the origins of fake news. You know that fake news doesn't just go back to the first century BC. It goes much back much further than that. If you are a Christian, then you know that fake news didn't start in a newsroom. It didn't start in some government office. It started in, of all places, where? It started in a garden. Who would have thought that the first fake news would come out of a garden? But it did. And it came by the father of all fake news, and that is Satan himself. Now, here's the kicker. The first fake news wasn't political in nature. It was spiritual in nature. Which, by the way, now listen very carefully, is the worst type of fake news there is. It is the worst type of fake news there is. More on that in a minute. Just to get on the same page, what I want to do is take us to the Word of God, and I want to look at that time that fake news entered the world. So church, it's my honor to take us to Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're actually going to go through verse 7. That's a, I I got it wrong up there, but we're going to go through verse 7. Church, hear the Word of God this morning. Now the serpent 
was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And here's the fake news, the first fake news that ever entered the world. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. See, fake news often comes addressed in ways that looks very attractive. And here it is. You will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Again, church, I present to you the word of God today. So the very first fake news was the worst type of news there was. It was news that called into question what God had clearly spoken, what God had clearly revealed, and that is significant. And here is why. Folks, as we go through this sermon series, there's one thing that you cannot lose sight of, and here it is. The worst type of fake news is spiritual fake news. The fake news that we hear every day that is calling into question that which God has clearly revealed. It is the single most dangerous, insidious type of fake news there is. You know what's so interesting, by the way, about the passage we just read in Genesis? What's so amazing about that passage is that secular humanists are them fat, are calling that account of the creation of the world, Genesis chapters 1 through 3, they're calling it fake news. Do you realize that? Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are being attacked as fake news by secular humanists. They are continually beating the drum that Genesis is not a true account of the creation of the world. Interesting. And by the way, they are relentless in attacking Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Do you realize that one of the most attacked passages in all the scriptures, one of the most attacked doctrines in all the Bible is Genesis. It's the, the book of Genesis, specifically Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Secular humanists do not want those chapters to exist. Now they claim, the secular humanists claim, that it is nothing more than myth, fable, and legend. It's folklore held by people who are religious, naive, and superstitious. People like you and me. Isn't that good to know? I don't know if you knew this, but you're religious, naive, and superstitious. They say the truth is that the universe exploded into existence billions of years ago from nothing by nothing and for nothing. And it's just the result. Everything that you see is just the result of natural processes. This is the news that's being put out. And what you and I believe is being told is fake news. We are also told that human beings are just the byproducts of random evolutionary mutations happening over those billions of years. And this fake news, by the way, has been and is currently being taught in our universities, our high schools, our middle schools, and yes, even our elementary schools. And this is no small matter. You do understand how much is at stake in just Genesis chapters 1 through 3, don't you? Because the secular humanists who are attacking Genesis 1 through 3 certainly do. Let me try to highlight just the significance of how important Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are. If secular humanists can cast doubt on just these three chapters, they will successfully call into question, among other things, the existence of God, the existence of miracles, the true origins of the universe, the origins of mankind, the origins of marriage, 
the origins of the male and female genders, the origin of moral absolutes, the existence of Satan, and the existence of sin. Is it any wonder that the first three chapters of Genesis is being attacked as fake news? And it's being attacked as fake news again. It started in our schools, in our universities, and our young are being inundated with the idea that this is fake news and what they really need to believe is that the universe popped into existence from nothing by nothing and for nothing. And by the way, do you want to know what happens when you successfully call into question the existence of sin? You are perpetuating the worst type of fake news there is, and that is fake news that undercuts the need for a savior. It is fascinating to me that we as Christians will look at Genesis 1 through 3, and it'll be attacked by secular humanists relentlessly, and we'll let it go. We'll go, no big deal. We'll just, we'll concede that because the important stuff is over here in the New Testament. Listen, all of God's word is important, is it not? All God breathed? And so when we give up Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and we go, we concede, okay, maybe it's fake news. Maybe we can't trust it. Listen, folks, if you can't trust Genesis 1-1, what makes you think you can trust the rest of the Bible? If that's called fake news, why can't this be called fake news? That's exactly where they are taking it. Listen, if you can successfully call into question the existence of the first Adam and the sin he committed, then you now have set the stage perfectly to call into question the existence of the second Adam, that is Christ and the sin for which he came to die. That's exactly what you've done. That's exactly what we have done. And if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, it's really rather simple, but of extreme importance. The first Adam, the one that we read about in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, disobeyed God, and as a result, sin entered the world through his actions, through the actions of Adam and Eve. The Bible says that Jesus is the second Adam, and it is through his sin, the sacrifice on the cross, that we are justified and made righteous in God's sight. This is what is at stake. If you can question that Adam, you can now question this Adam. If this Adam is fake news, then why not this Adam? That's the irony of the chapters, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. It's one of the most attacked scriptures and doctrines in all the Bible. But it's important. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, that is the first Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that is the second Adam, the many will be made righteous. Folks, it is no wonder that secular humanists who want to deny the existence of God propagate so much fake news regarding the origins of the universe and the origins of mankind. Because if there is no God and we are here by accident, then all bets are off. And we can put out any fake news we want. We can put out fake news about marriage. We can put out fake news about gender. We can put out fake news about anything and everything. And here's the kicker, whenever we want. And we can't be stopped. Do you know what stops fake news? The truth. That's why we cannot concede as Christians this. And we cannot move off of this. It is the word of God. It is true. And it is trustworthy on all accounts. From Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation, it is trustworthy and true. But back to the main point, and here it is. When I say that there is nothing new about fake news, I mean it, guys. It's been around since the garden. The father of fake news, Satan, has introduced it into the world. And it has manifested itself down through world history at different times and in various ways. But never lose sight of this fact. Not all fake news is equally dangerous. Not all fake news is equally dangerous. My concern for Christians in this country is that we are more concerned about the fake news coming out of Washington and over the airwaves. We're more concerned about that fake news than we are against the fake news that is coming out of 
the universities and is attacking our children and our grandchildren. We are more concerned about the fake news that might be the downfall of this country than we are the fake news that might be the downfall of the church. There is a fake news that affects temporal matters. And there is a fake news that affects spiritual and eternal matters. And the fake news, guys, that affects spiritual and eternal matters is always 100% worse than the fake news that is temporal in nature. Now, do not get me wrong and do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Fake news affecting temporal matters can sometimes be very significant and shouldn't be ignored. I'm not saying as Christians that the fake news that we're seeing coming out of Washington and over the airwaves is unimportant and that we should check out and give up on this country. Not at all. A politician lying about having served in Vietnam is a very big deal and needs to be confronted. Amen? So very much as Christians, we should be engaged in this country, voting and seeking the best for this country and confronting the fake news. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that there is a fake news that is far more insidious, far more dangerous, with far greater ramifications, eternal ramifications. And we as believers need to be burdened by that because if we are not burdened about that fake news, who will be? Everybody's concerned about the fake news coming out of Washington and over the airways, but who's concerned about the fake news that is attacking our children and grandchildren, that is telling them that marriage can be whatever they want and they can be whatever gender they want? Who's concerned about that fake news? Fake news that ultimately calls into question that which God has clearly spoken, folks. That's the fake news that should have us on our game, on our A game. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Some of you will recognize Sarah Silverman. She's a comedian. Anybody recognize her? I've seen her many times. She's on many shows. If you watch any TV or any entertainment, you're going to have run across her. Before I left on vacation and as I was writing this message, I ran, I don't know how I ran, I bumped into something from her either online or uh, I was watching TV and happened to run across something, but it was perfect. I mean, God, when I write these sermons, God always provides But I stopped and I was listening to her. She was exhorting her fan base. She was talking to the people that she has influence over, which are probably in the millions. Um, She is a rather famous comedian. But she was exhorting her fan base in this presentation to abandon any belief in the doctrine of hell. And I have no doubt that I stopped on it for a reason, that I found it or that it was made aware to me. I mean, it came to me, I don't know, again, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what the sermon I'm writing about. Listen, she personally promised, and this is what she said. She, she told her fan base, I personally promise you that hell doesn't exist. Trusting, I suppose, that her audience would see her as some sort of expert on the subject. But listen, to say that hell doesn't exist is fake news of the highest order. Think about the ramifications of the millions of people that are going to listen to her saying that hell doesn't exist. And that they can live their lives however they want. And when they die, they will not be held accountable. This is what is going out over the airwaves. And listen, what this fake news that she said would go unnoticed by most Christians. Unnoticed by most people. It wouldn't even be seen as fake news. And that's my concern is that we as believers, we are so obsessed sometimes about the fake news coming out of Washington that when fake news like this happens, we go, what? Our children and grandchildren are listening to people like this. And people like this, by the way, are teaching in our universities and in our high schools and our middle schools. And again, I want to say, if you're a Christian teacher in the public school system, you're a hero. You keep fighting the good fight. You are in the toughest battle that there is. But this is the type of fake news that has infected our country. And by the way, the fake news that is affecting this country, we think, well, how do we fix it? How do we fix this country? We don't fix this country by necessarily passing better laws we have to go back to the foundations that are being attacked. 
the idea that God doesn't exist and the idea that this universe is popped into existence from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. If we want to start this, if we want to save this country or set a different course for this country, we have to get to our youth and children and tell them the truth and ground them in the truth that God exists. They're here for a reason. You're going to be held accountable, right? Hebrews, it is appointed for man to die once and what? Face judgment. This is what, this is how we will change the country. Strengthen the foundations, build up the foundations. We are so obsessed about, well, what law are we going to pass? What politician are we going to get in office when we should be obsessed with the foundations that are being attacked by the father of fake news, Satan, calling into question the very things that God has spoken, clearly spoken about, starting with Genesis chapters one through three. Our children and grandchildren are being raised in a world where God doesn't exist. The universe popped into existence from nothing. They are simply the byproduct of random mutations. It is no wonder the world is in the state that it is. And I said, if you don't understand the significance of Genesis 1, chapters 1 through 3, your secular humanist friends do. They do. By the way, I was on a plane once, and I was coming back. I'm pretty sure I was coming back from Israel, and I got seated next to a guy from, I think he must have been, I think he said he was from Switzerland. Very nice man. And we got into a very pleasant conversation, but he found out I was a Christian. As a matter of fact, he found out I was a pastor. And that always makes for interesting conversation. We were having more and more. But you know where the conversation, you know where he lit up? He lit up when he found out that I was a young earth creationist. When I told him, yeah, I believe the earth was created in six literal days by a God. And I believe that if you follow the genealogies back that are all throughout the Old Testament, you can only go back so far, about six to five, seven, maybe 8,000 years at most. It was as if he saw a unicorn. I'm not kidding. He went and found, he, his wife was sitting a couple of seats up and he went and got her and brought her back and said, you need to meet him. He's one of these guys that actually believes that the earth is only 6,000 years old. And that now, just so you know, Arizona Community Church doesn't necessarily take a hard and fast stance on that, but I do. <laughs> so you can be a member in good standing and disagree with me, but if you want to be my friend, that's another story. <laughs> Listen, again, to say that hell doesn't exist is fake news of the highest order because it is fake news with eternal consequences. You do realize that Jesus himself spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And yet it is this sort of fake news that can be found everywhere from our kindergarten classes and yes, all the way through the halls of Congress. And incidentally, not everything that comes out of Congress is only temporal in nature. I'm drawing kind of hard and fast lines here, but there is stuff that is being discussed in the halls of Congress that has eternal consequences to it. We are now passing laws about marriage and gender that are in direct violation of what God has clearly revealed. So there is overlap at times. But the point is this, from our kindergarten classes all the way through the halls of Congress, that which God has clearly revealed is regularly, systematically, and aggressively being attacked. That's the world that we live in. And it is being replaced with fake narratives, fake news, fake spiritual headlines with devastating and eternal consequences. Folks, not all fake news is the same. Fake spiritual news is the worst type of news there is. Now, here's what's so interesting. The father of fake news, Satan, is relentless. If you think the idea of 24-hour news is news to us, is new to us, isn't it? Many of you can remember 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I'm, we didn't have 24-hour news, Right? I grew up in the 70s where, I've said this before, the TV would end at 8, and then it would be like the boo till the next morning. Remember that? The younger generation can't even fathom the idea. And then you had to wait for cartoons on Saturday. You only got them once. And if you had a soccer game, you missed the cartoons for that week. 
still getting counseling over that. But the, here's the point. The idea of 24-hour news is new to even every one of us in this room. It didn't exist when we were younger, but 24-hour news exists now. Why is that important? Here's why. 24-hour news is nothing news. The father of lies, Satan, has been cranking out fake spiritual news 24 hours a day since the Garden of Eden. He is relentless. If you think that the fake news that be, is being pumped into your homes and that you are seeing is relentless in nature, it, those in the media that propagate false and fake news can't hold a candle to Satan. He is constantly cranking out fake news all the time. And he can use just about any issue that you can think of to propagate fake news. Let me give you a quick example of what I'm talking about. So the good news of the gospel is simply this, right? That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the gospel. To put it another way, we are not saved because of anything we do, but because of everything that Christ has done, right? Jesus left the glories of heaven. He took on human flesh. He lived the sinless life that you and I could not live. And he died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. He was resurrected and ascended and seated at the right hand of God the Father and offers salvation to any who would call upon his name. This is the gospel. One of my favorite quotes is by Jonathan Edwards. He said, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. But of course, Satan wants to distort the gospel. So he's going to put out fake news. So what does he do in the first century? He puts out fake news. And the fake news headlines in the early church went something like this. Circumcision is necessary for salvation. Come and get it. Come and get your paper. Circumcision, necessary for salvation. This was the fake news headline, one of them in the first century. Now, listen, who would have ever thought that Satan could use something like circumcision to undercut the gospel? But that's exactly what he did. Who could ever think of using something like circumcision and use it as fake news to distort the gospel and keep people out of heaven? But that's exactly what he did. Why is that important? Here's why it's important, folks. We shouldn't be surprised when we see Satan in this day and age using things like race or gender or marriage to undercut the gospel, to propagate false news. Here's where we're going to go. <laughs> I'm just going to give you a little insight into where we're going next week. You're not going to want to miss next week. Next week, we are going to look at the fake news that we are being told that critical race theory is simply a political movement. Critical race theory is not a political movement, folks. It is a spiritual movement. I'm going to demonstrate that next week. It is a spiritual movement that is seeking to change the course of the spiritual direction of this country. By the way, remember how I said when it came to Joseph Goebbels just how powerful fake news can be? Six million people died because one man put out fake news about the Jewish people. If that's how powerful fake news can be in the temporal world, imagine how powerful the fake spiritual news that Satan is putting out is, can be. If six million people dying is tragic, which it is, imagine how many millions of people have been kept out of heaven because of the distortions of the gospel down through world history because of Satan. Far more devastating. Now, do you want to know just how seriously the Apostle Paul took the fake news that a person needed to be circumcised in order to be saved in the first century? Do you want to know what Apostle Paul did? He wrote this, look out for those dogs, those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's, not, that's a statement written by somebody whose blood is boiling, is it not? It is Listen, the, I'm sure the political stuff that was happening in the first century was significant, and I'm sure it had a significant bearing on the church. But what really burdened Paul was this. 
that the gospel was being distorted by, of all things, the topic of circumcision. He went on to write this in the book of Galatians. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. We have said it before, so I will say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Listen, folks, if the fake news coming out of Washington is getting your blood boiling, how much more should the fake news that is attacking the church or is distorting the gospel or is getting your children and grandchildren to believe lies that are straight out of the pit of hell? How much more should the gloves come off here? If the gloves come off over here, when a news media says something, I mean, they do. Our blood boils and it should. I'm not saying it's not important. But if our blood boils here, how much more should it boil here? There was nothing. There was a righteous anger in Paul when it came to spiritual fake news because he understood this. It was the most insidious, dangerous type of fake news that there is. It was the same with Jesus, by the way. Jesus didn't overturn the tables at City Hall. He overturned the tables in the temple court. It was the fake news that affected the worship of God which made Jesus' blood boil. And again, if the gloves came off for both of these men, Jesus and Paul, how much more should they come off for us in this generation? By the way, this is why we see entire denominations falling and slipping into apostasy because the word of God is being called into question and everyone is so busy trying to be polite. No one is acting with any courage or conviction. Michael Fallon, he's the head of Sovereign Nations uh, Ministries. He wrote this. The theological and doctrinal downfall of nearly every major Protestant denomination has been facilitated by the polite middle who avoid conflict and eventually turn on the conservative biblical confessional unorthodox. Genesis chapters 1 through 3 comes under attack. Well, let's just be polite. Let's just try and get along with the secular humanists who are attacking it after all because we want to be polite and nice to them because maybe they'll come and believe what we believe one day. Listen, folks, there is a time to build bridges and there is a time to draw lines. That was my last sermon series, right? There's a time to build bridges and there's a time to draw lines. And we as Christians have to know the difference when the truth that God has proclaimed clearly in his word is under attack. The time for building bridges is over. It is the time to draw hard and fast lines and proclaim that which is true, no matter the cost to us and without apology. Let him be eternally condemned, Paul says. Watch out for those evil doers. Paul had the courage to call a spade a spade. Jesus had the courage to overturn the money changers in the temple and make a cord whip and drive them out. And it makes me wonder, will I have the courage? And will you have the courage? Will this church have this courage? Will the church in America have the courage to stand up and proclaim the truth no matter the cost to us in this generation? Because if somebody doesn't do it, who's going to do it? I'm telling you, there are enough people fighting on the political front. What we need to do is have people fighting for the foundations of this world or this country. That God exists. He is the founder of this country. He is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of you and me. You are not here by accident. You were put on this planet for a reason. And you will be held accountable for the life that you live. Amen? We've got to get back to that. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? If we don't confront this fake news, who's going to do it? And it starts in your homes. It starts in the church. Pastors and churches better be doing this. It goes beyond what the pastors are doing in churches. It goes to the home. 
You have to tell your grandchildren and children the truth. You must ground them in it because they are being assaulted on a daily basis by the fact with fake news, constant fake news, that God doesn't exist. This world popped into existence from nothing, that they are here for no real reason and they can do whatever they want with their life, claim to be whoever they want to be, identify as whatever they want. And they have bought that. And if we don't intervene, who's going to do it? It's got to be those of us who are believers. It's time to stand up for the truth. There is a time in which being polite needs to be pushed away. And again, listen, if we're willing to raise our voices over the fake political news we see impacting this country, how much more should we raise our voices over the fake spiritual news we see impacting the church and our children and our grandchildren on a daily basis? Folks, we are living in a day and age of fake spiritual news. Satan has been cranking it out 24 hours a day, seven days a week since the garden. You know what's needed in this generation? Courageous, independent, bold, spiritual fact checkers. People who know the truth, who hold the truth, defend the truth, regardless of the cost to themselves. Folks, it should come as no surprise that the Bible tells us to be just this type of people. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything. Test everything. Hold to the fast to what is good. If there is a verse that could change this country right now, it is this. If the Christians in this country would hold fast to that which is good and not budge, no matter the cost to them, this country would be overnight set on a different course. But what we're doing is we're being challenged and then we're starting to negotiate with everybody and anybody. Well, we're not sure marriage is this and we're not sure gender is that and we're not sure we can chat. Well, okay, well, let's talk. No, 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 there's no talking. God has spoken right? And the fact of the matter is, by the way, do you know why you know the Bible is true? Because of the impossibility of the contrary. It is impossible that this universe popped into existence from nothing by nothing and for nothing. It is impossible to account for the world the way it is apart from the existence of the triune God of the Bible. You can't. It's, you, you end up in pure absurdity. Those that say that God doesn't exist are holding to pure absurdity that we popped in. I always ask the person that says that God doesn't exist, why are you wearing clothes? I can account for that. Genesis chapters one through three, right? And so they constantly borrow from our worldview, whether it comes to wearing clothes, making laws, the way they raise their families, whatever. They're constantly borrowing from our worldview, yet saying our worldview is fake news. First John 4 says this, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit's. Folks, our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? But against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. This is where the true fight is. The fake news, the truth. If you want to be a warrior and a fighter on the, the front lines, truly on the front lines, this is where it is. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. And I'm not saying that we check out of this country and the fake news that's coming out shouldn't be confronted. We need to vote and we need to be politically active. And the, trust me, I get that. But I am saying and reminding all of us in this room, that the worst type of fake news is not political fake news. It is spiritual fake news. It is more insidious and more dangerous than anything. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Folks, whether you realize it or not, listen to me, everybody very carefully, because here's the wrap-up of this, all of this. Whether you realize it or not, as believers, you and I are the most important fact-checkers in the world today. You are. You're sitting here right now and you're going, I'm a nobody, I, I'm not on anybody's radar and I can make no difference. That is just a lie. You are and I am the most important fact checkers in the world today and that is because we are fact checking the most important information in the world today and that is the spiritual news that is being put out by the father of fake news 24 hours a day, seven days a week, amen? 
If you and I do not rise to the occasion and stand up and call the fake spiritual news that is attacking our children, grandchildren, our universities, our elementary schools, and everything in between, if we're not going to do it, who is? Independent, bold, courageous fact checkers are needed. Will you be one of them? The consequences of us being asleep at the wheel, folks, are tragic, both in the temporal and the eternal. Our country is going where it's going part, in large part because we have conceded way too much spiritual truth, but that's not even the worst of it. The worst of it is the eternal consequences that are going to come about as a result of us conceding too many spiritual truths. So with that being said, are you ready for the sermon series? <laughs> Don't miss next week. <laughs> Because, um, again, one of the most insidious things that out there is that the fight for justice is simply a fight for, the, the fight for social justice is simply a political movement seeking to better this country. It is a spiritual movement seeking to set a different course for this country. Don't miss next week. Amen? Let me pray for us. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, praise God. Father in heaven, we come before you, and God, I pray that you would make us bold in this generation, God, that you would give us the courage of our forefathers who in their generation, God, spoke the truth, many of them dying as martyrs for their faith, for the apostles and for the prophets of the Bible, God, who laid down their life proclaiming the truth in a wicked generation, often being put to death by those, Father, who proclaim to know spiritual truth. And so, God, in a day and age where we can be railroaded and our reputations can be ruined and where we can be canceled and... God, that comes at a high price. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage to be bold. And God, we do pray for this country, the fake news that we see coming out of Washington and all of that. God, it needs to be confronted. But Lord, our hearts are burdened by the, the spiritual, the fake spiritual news that is attacking our children and our grandchildren, that is insepid in our universities and our schools. God, calling into question your existence, your love for them, calling into question... God, your son and his sacrifice on the cross. God, I pray that we would not put up with it any longer. I pray that you'd make us bold and courageous. God, help us to be kind and gracious always, to build the bridges when we are supposed to. But God, when that day comes and that opportunity presents itself, may we be courageous standing up for what you have proclaimed. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus, our Savior. And everybody said with me, amen.
let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee, and prone to wonder, Lord, I can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. The following program is called The God of Abraham. everyone. My name is Terry from the God of Abraham. Last time, we looked into Abraham's story and how his wife was taken away because he told King Abimelech that Sarah was his sister, even though he received God's promise that she would have a son next year around this time. In Genesis chapter 20, Abimelech rebuked Abraham by saying, What have you done to us? In verse 13, Abraham said he told this to Sarah, Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. According to the Bible, it seems like wherever Abraham went, he introduced himself as Sarah's brother. Why did the Bible mention this story? Abraham has been lying everywhere he went. Was this story recorded only in Egypt and Gerar because a problem arose? When Pharaoh took Sarah away in Egypt, God sent a plague to Pharaoh. Pharaoh got angry at Abraham and sent Sarah away. At that time, Abraham couldn't say anything to Pharaoh who rebuked him. Unlike the time with Pharaoh, this time Abraham replied to King Abimelech of Gerar. Of course, there is a great difference in power between the Pharaoh of Egypt and Abimelech of Gerar. At that time, Egypt was a great nation, and it could be called the center of the world. The region of Gerar was only the size of a city. Besides this important point, there is another important point that could be found in verses 17 through 18. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so they could have children again. 
For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife Sarah. This time, Abraham prays for Abimelech and his household. When God appeared in Abimelech's dream, he said, Abraham is a prophet and he will pray for you. From here, we can see two important principles of faith. The first principle is something we have seen many times until now, but it has become more certain. The covenant made between God and Abraham is unilaterally kept by God regardless of Abraham's actions. Only God can fulfill the entire covenant, giving Abraham a child, making his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, making Abraham's name great, blessing those who bless Abraham and cursing those who curse Abraham. All these things were done unilaterally by God. Even though Abimelech took Sarah with a clear conscience, not knowing she was Abraham's wife, in doing so, he prevented the coming of the son from the promised covenant. Abimelech eventually cursed Abraham. Therefore, a curse was brought upon Abimelech's household. In the age we live in, we have people-centered thinking, so this may seem unfair and unjust. But it is not so in God's perspective. God is keeping the covenant he made with Abraham. God was just towards Abimelech and he kept his covenant with Abraham at the same time. The second principle of faith is that there is a time for everything. This is also a principle we all know well, but let's apply this principle more specifically. Abraham said his wife Sarah was his sister everywhere he went. If Abraham's wife was taken away and God protected him every time, then the Bible might not have recorded the story about Abimelech. Since a similar instance already happened in Egypt, the Bible could have simply said Abraham had his wife taken away several times and God helped him every time. The Bible recorded this instance again. The point that I'm trying to make is that the incidents with both Pharaoh and Abimelech are similar but also different. The reason why the incident with Abimelech was recorded is because the time had come for Abraham to stop lying about Sarah being his sister. If we look back at Abraham's life when God first called him, we see that he made mistakes and showed weak faith but God always took care of him. God took on all the responsibility. However, now that the time of God's promise of giving Abraham a son is about to be fulfilled, God is asking Abraham to act in a right way before him. As we mentioned before, God is not asking Abraham to act in a right way as a necessary condition to carry out the covenant. God is not saying he will give Abraham a child and land as well only if he acts in a certain way. God will still give Abraham these things, but he is molding Abraham to act and think like the father of the faith. This is the same as a child growing up. It is a joy to see an infant in his parents' arms. The parent doesn't ask anything from the baby. The parent would be thankful if the baby eats and sleeps well and grows without getting sick. 
There is no parent who would say the following to a baby. Why can't you walk? If you're a person, you should be able to walk. Why are you crying like this? You can't cry all the time. Why aren't you potty trained? According to the child's age, there are things he will learn and things will be asked of him. When God first called Abraham, he took care of him. God continually told, showed, and allowed Abraham to experience that he is God. Now the time has come for Abraham to walk as the father of faith, and God is asking Abraham to be right before him. In order to act in a right way, God is asking Abraham to stop trying to protect his safety with his own strength by lying to others about Sarah being his sister. Abraham must follow God in the right way. In addition, God is confirming Abraham's identity. God is saying, You are my chosen prophet. No one can harm you. You are a blessing to others. When you bless someone, I will also bless them. That is who you are. Yet you are afraid and lie to those who should receive blessings from you. Do that lie, your wife was taken. Must you face such a situation? The important thing is that God doesn't ask for right action from the beginning. God asks for the appropriate action based on certain times. It was time for Abraham to stop lying about Sarah. It is the same for us. We are Christians. We must clearly remember our identity. We must not be people who try to make it out alive on our own because we are afraid of the world. We must be people who are held in God's hands and follow the path of Jesus Christ. That is a Christian. We must stop doing what we did in the past and live like a Christian. We must live as those who have been called. We have looked at the two principles of faith, but there's actually just one principle. It is that God does the work. God makes everything happen under His sovereignty. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, Isaac is finally born. The birth of Isaac is a very important scene in the Bible. It is a very dramatic scene in Abraham's life, and it's an important scene where God's promise is fulfilled. However, there is something very strange about it. If a person wrote the Bible with his own thought, the scene of Isaac's birth would have been portrayed in a very splendid, magnificent, and dramatic way. However, the Bible describes the scene in a very plain way. There is nothing dramatic or any stirring words. It is very ordinary. Here is Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. It almost seems like the birth of Isaac was intentionally written in a plain way without much expressive language. Instead, there is a repeated saying. It is as he had said. 
Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. I had a thought while I was reading this part. This is truly an amazing miracle to us. A 100-year-old elderly man and a 90-year-old elderly woman got pregnant and had a son. This is an amazing miracle to us. But to God, this miracle wasn't a difficult task, nor was it amazing. Maybe that's why it was written in such a plain way. This story tells us that God's word will surely be fulfilled just as he had said, no matter how impossible his word may seem. This story solidifies our faith and tells us that all of God's word in the Bible will surely be fulfilled. Verse 4 says, When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. God's word is continually developing. This tells us that when God keeps his promise as he had said, we must also act according to God's word. Also, there is something amusing here. Abraham's son Isaac is the first one who was circumcised eight days after being born. Abraham was circumcised at the age of 99 and Ishmael at the age of 13. The meaning of Isaac's name is commonly known as laughter. I have often told you through several programs that Hebrew is a very amusing language. Isaac in Hebrew is Ishak. The two words Yacha and Hoku have been combined. The word Yacha means fulfill. The word Hoku means rule or law. Therefore, if we separate Isaac's name into fulfill and law, it means to fulfill the law. Many Jewish theologians explain that Isaac's name means to fulfill the law as the first one who received circumcision eight days after birth. In Hebrew, there are many names that have significant meanings. Today, we looked at the famous scene of how Isaac was born. 25 years have passed since Abraham received this calling. A quarter of a century had passed until God's promise was fulfilled. We can see how it's not necessary to be interested how quickly God's promise is fulfilled. We must be interested in the fact that God's promise will surely be fulfilled. God's promise will surely be fulfilled in God's time. Therefore, as I mentioned before, faith is waiting. If we have faith within us, we can wait. By seeing how God keeps His promise, I hope our faith in waiting will become solidified. We'll end God of Abraham here. I'll see you next week. Goodbye. i
Let me be as gold and precious silver, purify my heart. Let me be as gold, pure gold, refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be. We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.